welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. This week for the show, I got to chat with Daniel Groth. Daniel is the Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and he is also the author of Chasing Wisdom, which is all about his mentor relationship with Eugene Peterson, who was a prolific theologian and author. And it's all about how Daniel pursued a relationship with Eugene and what he learned from him and what he learned from that pursuit. And so we got to have the best conversation about the lost art of mentorship and how we as a generation are not learning and gleaning from those who have gone before us. And it really is such a challenging and convicting conversation that I can't wait for you to listen to. Daniel, hey, welcome to the Crappy Christian Podcast. Thank you so much. Good to be with you, Blake. So you have a book, Chasing Wisdom, amongst other things that you do. And so I would love to, as always, get us started. Tell us about yourself and then tell us about Chasing Wisdom. Yeah, my name is Daniel Grothy. I'm 37, married to Lisa for 15 years, got three kids, Lillian, 13, Wilson and Wakely, 11 and 8. So you know the drill, carpool, soccer, school, e-learning, figuring out Uh, that I'm not a great homeschooler, (laughs) all of that stuff. But I grew up in the church. I'm a pastor's kid, and I was unlocking the doors on Sundays at 6 a.m. I was shutting the place down Sundays at 10 p.m. We had the Wednesday night prayer service. My dad was the worship leader, so I was in the band pit on Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays. So grew up doing weddings and funerals and hospital visits at midnight with my parents and thinking that every four or five-year-old was doing that. Right. So that I'm a son of the church. Uh, the musical thing really caught with me. I became a drummer and I've toured and recorded and traveled the world, played with Gunger and recorded with them and Brilliance and Paul Balash and different folks. So music is a part of my story for sure. But I'm a pastor here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, been here 15 years. And so a son of the church growing up within the church and now serving the church. I love, I was looking at your Instagram earlier before we recorded and you posted a picture of you and your wife. Yeah. It's like a throwback about how three (laughs) days later y'all packed up and drove across the country and you started at the church that you're at now. Right. Right. Yeah. That's just, amazing. Here we go. And yeah. living on love and got one car <laughs> and got a little apartment and, you know, dual income, no kids. And so 30 grand goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. 
Didn't it say y'all were married like just a couple of days? Yeah, we we went, got married and went to Mexico for a few days and came back and threw all our stuff in a Penske truck and drove to New Life Church. And here we are. That's amazing. 15 years later. Yep. I love that. So you have a book. Yes. Chasing Wisdom. And this is so important. We talked about it just a little bit before we started recording. But can you give people just kind of a synopsis of the book? The book was written out of crisis. So everyone who walks the planet Earth is going to have their life bottom out. So why chase wisdom? We we need wisdom to be able to think on our feet in all mm. these moments that sneak up on us that we never expected to come. So the story is I came to New Life Church 15, 16 years ago, and we were on top of the world. We were kicking butt and taking names. We were 15,000 members. Our pastor was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, a 30 million member organization in America. And when Washington, D.C. wanted to know what Christians think, they would call us and we would have press conferences and we would speak about, you know, same sex marriage unions and what should we do about this and what should we do about that? And so we were the church, Tom Brokaw and Barbara Walters and Mel Gibson came to our church to release The Passion of the Christ before it was released. So he he flew in on a private jet and we had 3000 pastors there and we interviewed him for an hour on stage. Uh, George W. Bush, as he was president, Skyped into our pastor's conference. And so we were a big deal. Just Mm -hmm. ask us, you know, it was one of those situations. Yeah, we'll tell you. Exactly. (laughs) Then it became known that our senior pastor was caught in a sexual scandal that was on the front page of every major news organization, not just in America, but around the world. So we were riding high, and then we bottomed out into the valley of the shadow of death. We finally get a new senior pastor 10 months later. We had discovered during this time that we were $26.5 million in debt. We had to lay off 44 staff overnight. Mm -hmm. The economy nationally, it tanks in 2006, 2007. So we're right in the middle of all that. And we finally get a new pastor. And Brady, he's he's a good Louisiana boy. You know, Blake, I know you're a Louisiana girl. Love so it. we got the, the brother from the South. He came up here and a hundred days in, our church is starting to finally catch our breath again and mm-hmm. and find the wind of the spirit at our back. And we're slowly starting to trust each other again. And on his hundredth day, it was a Sunday morning. We're in church. We just finished the 11 o'clock service and I'm standing in the children's hallway and out of nowhere, I hear the very worst sound, the sound that you never expect to hear in church for sure, but you don't expect to hear it anywhere. And that's a man ran on our campus with an AR-15 assault rifle, a thousand rounds of ammunition and two handguns. And he is loading our church up with bullets. I'm at the end of our children's hallway and I run into our senior pastor's office and I say, there's a shooter on campus. And he kills two teenage girls in the parking lot, sisters who are 16 and 18, shoots up their parents, shoots up a bunch of other cars, runs in our building, and is just spraying at will. And a security guard runs toward him, shoots him in the leg with a little handgun, and he falls down and takes his own life in our children's Mm -hmm. hallway. So we've got a double murder-suicide on our new pastor's 100th day after laying off 44 staff, losing our senior pastor. The bottom line is all of us have these moments where our lives are sitting on top of a fault line, Mm -hmm. and that fault line shifts, and it destabilizes the whole region, and you don't know what to do. So there I am, 
this young 25-year-old pastor, I don't know, up from down. And I go into a Goodwill on a Monday morning, my day off, and I go to the second handbook section. And there's this book called The Contemplative Pastor, and I pull it off the shelf. It's written by this guy, Eugene H. Peterson. And I think, didn't he write the translation of the Bible, the message translation? So I bought it for 99 cents. I took it home and I read it in a day. Mm. It was 171 pages and this book just grabbed me. And I thought, why has no one ever told me about the life of a pastor like this? Mm -hmm. So here's the short story. I write Eugene Peterson a letter. I don't know where he lives. I don't know who he is, how old he is. And I just say, dear Mr. Peterson, my name's Daniel. I'm a young pastor at this church. You've read about us in the news lately. We just had a double murder suicide. We lost our senior pastor. Can I come spend a day with you and ask you some questions? I sent it to his publisher because I don't know where he's at. Right. And I'm sure the publisher will not get it to him. You know, they're right. going to throw that in the trash bin. Well, two weeks later, I go to my mailbox and there's a letter and it's scratched out in this chicken scratch, you know, cursive. E. Peterson, Lakeside, Montana, 59922. He wrote me back. And so Eugene wrote me back and he said, yes, you can come to Montana, period, but not so fast. Mm. He said, I want you to write a three-page paper on what is pastor and a three-page paper on what is church to see if we even have enough common ground to begin a conversation. And he throws down the gauntlet and that began the journey of chasing Eugene's wisdom. And he became for me, I visited him 10 times over 10 years, phone calls, letters, staying in his home for a decade. And he became the sage that really saved my life in the most crucial time of my development. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of the story. That's an incredible story. <laughs> that's not just a like, oh, here's the story. I mean, so I admittedly did not know any of that, the sure. scandal or the murder, suicide. And yes, that is, as soon as you said, I hear the sound, I was like, no. Yeah. I knew what it was going to be. Yeah. And what came to mind when you were telling that story is how much, first of all, I think so many believers think that loving Jesus is a cocoon right. and that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. And that if it does, you have somehow brought it upon yourself. What did you do wrong? Exactly. Where's your lack of faith? What, what's your secret sin? sin? Mm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, you buried something under the tent. Where is it hiding? Exactly. You, know? you have all of these experiences. I know that you're not saying that you were perfect, but you have all of these bottoming out experiences that really happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. That drove you to this place of having to chase and find somebody to tell you how to do this well. Well, first of all, let me just address that we in the church today do not have a nearly developed enough theology of suffering. Mm, oh gosh, we, live no. in the, we live in the first world West mm -hmm. where we think, like you said, to follow Jesus is to be rescued from a cross. Jesus mm -hmm. took up the cross so that I don't have to. Yeah. Where did we get that? What Bible are we reading? So literally the Bible says, Pick up your cross <laughs> and follow me, right? Deny exactly. yourself like daily. Here we go. You're going to die. Climb Golgotha with me. Exactly. And in doing so, you'll become like me. And so when the bottom fell out at our church, tenderness returned, holiness returned, fear of the Lord returned. We, we actually had the chance to start becoming like Jesus after the crisis hit the fan. 
And so that's just one thing. Like we in the first world West need to realize that you can't even have a prosperity gospel theology. You can't have that in the third world. You can't have that in the global South. They mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to understand something like that. So these are the moments, these crisis moments are the moments that are an invitation into following Jesus. Amen. Now, having said that, if you come into these crisis moments and you're alone and you don't have anyone who can show you the way how to navigate the terrain of the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to be destroyed. Yep. And so when the bottom fell out, I thought, Oh, goodness. I've got my parents, praise the Lord, they're faithful pastors and they're wise, but I need a deeper bench of sages who can help me walk through this. I love that, a deeper bench. And I think to that point, I feel like I'm seeing a shift in the Christian culture of actually understanding the importance of community. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's so vital, but we've, I feel like we've focused so much on like wise community Mm -hmm. that there is no real focus on discipleship, mentorship, someone who is before you, who's gone before you that you can learn from because you can learn from one another. But I love that. Like you need a bench. Yeah, I need to be able to call on people. And that's something we, gosh, we have such a mentality of it's going to fall on my lap if Mm -hmm. God intends it. Jeez. And you are proof that, no, I went out and got it. And not only did I go out and get it, I worked for it. Yeah, absolutely. So in every ancient Near Eastern society, we have to remember where we come from, right? Like how have societies lived through the centuries, through the millennia? Oh my gosh. So in every ancient Near Eastern society, you would have the elders at the city gates. Yep. And these were cultures that revered and that honored the elderly you had the sages, you had people who had lived and logged miles, you had people who had been through wars, you had people who'd suffered famines and who lived on a shoestring budget. And you need to go, what you do is, if if you had a dispute, if something was breaking down, if you had a family rivalry, if you felt like your neighbor moved the ancient boundary stone and was encroaching on your field, what did you do? You both went to the elders at the city gates and you submitted to their wisdom. You said, here's the information, what say you? And we have told in our day and age, we've told our elderly, go play more golf and die. (laughs) Go take more cruises, go move to Florida or Phoenix and snowbird and your work is done. You don't need to talk. Exactly. There's nothing I can learn from you. What do Never you mind know? that you've worked, lived through multiple world wars <laughs> and famines and plagues. And like right. literally the floor of your house was dirt, which is right. where dirt floor poor came from. <laughs> no, there's nothing you could teach me about money or hardship right. or conflict. marriage. Mar- right. like your 60 year old marriage means nothing to me. Right. It's insane. And we are the impoverished for it. A hundred percent. For sending away our sages and our saints and our elders. We think we have been enlightened progress. We, you know, we're coming into our own baby. Look out now. It's my turn. <laughs> so I think the, the, I wrote this book because I think we need a recovery of a respect for, and we need to go chase down these saints and sages. Yeah. And so Eugene, for me, became that sort of icon of faithfulness. He's, he was almost exactly 50 years older than me. He had lived with the same woman, loved her for 60 plus years. He would pastored the same church for 30 years in the same town. And when you look across the landscape, 
Tell me how many 85-year-olds do you know that have gotten to the end of their race and they're vibrant, Mm -hmm. they're full of life, they're with the same people, they have respect uh, for the church, they have deep love for Jesus. Like when you find that person, you better go and apprentice yourself to them. Absolutely. You better ask good questions and work for it. And so to your point of working for it, Eugene in his first letter, he busted my chops. I love that. That's the kind of, I feel like that is such an earned opportunity, mm-hmm. right? When you, you have run your race so faithfully, yep. I, I hope that that's how you and I are. You get that to we kick get my to butt. The, exactly. Say that we get to the end want. and we get to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's real cute that you just sent me this sweet letter. Like, work. keep going. Exactly. Work for it. And he, yeah. And so he wrote me that first letter. I took a month and wrote my six pages of what is church and what is pastor. I sent it to him. And then he called me and he said, Daniel, thank you so much for your letters. They're very thoughtful. Yes, we have enough common ground. And he said, here's the thing. Jan and I are tired. He said, I just finished Mm -hmm. my fifth book manuscript in five years, and I'm going to take a nine-month sabbatical and turn the world off. I'm going to go be restored. He's 76 at the time. He earned it. That's amazing. So he said, call me in nine months. He said, get out your calendar. Call me nine months from today, and then we'll set it. So from the time yes. from the time I wrote my first letter to the time I showed up at Eugene's front door, it was 507 days. Wow. I told him at the end of his life on my last visit, I said, Eugene, the best four words you ever wrote to me were, but not so fast. Mm-hmm. Because what you did is you set the tone that we are not going to have a cheap invitation. We're not going to have a... He said to me in the first letter, if you come, I don't want a touristy visit. I love him. That's amazing. You're not going to come out here and take pictures of me and throw it up on Instagram no. and you use me. If we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Right. So I think we need to realize that if it's going to be worth it, it's going to be costly. If mm-hmm. it's going to be valuable, you're going to put all your chips on the table. We need to learn how to recover our hard work ethic and press into chase wisdom. And if you work for it, you'll value it. Well, and that was my thought when you first said that how he responded and that he wanted you to write six pages that how many people feel, okay, so you've gotten me on board that I need this wisdom. Now I feel entitled to it. (laughs) Right. That I'm not doing homework for you. Like share your wisdom with me. It's the Jesus thing to do. I think, I feel like we're kind of bad mouthing our generation and which there's plenty of, room for that but we do tend to be a microwave entitled generation where i feel like it's like okay i'll get on board with that i need this wisdom now how do i go get it tomorrow okay if you are a creative or a small business owner or you're in direct sales you need to listen up because my course run your race opens for registration on january 19th The course only opens three times a year, so you're not going to want to miss it. And it is essentially a five-hour brain dump of all of the things that I have learned, the things that I have done wrong and had to learn how to do correctly to go from where I started two years ago to where I am today, being able to quit my full-time job and do this full-time. But it is all from a scripturally based, non-hustle, non-self-centric Place and it is teaching you to use your gifts to the glory of God and to run your race well. 
So if you are interested, if you want more information, you can head to crappychristianco.com slash course. It's also linked in the show description and you can get on the wait list. You can find out about the free masterclass. You can learn about the new optional affiliate marketing bonus module. All the things live there. Crappychristianco.com slash course. Eugene became for me the sort of Mr. Miyagi-like figure that kicked my butt. And before Miyagi could make Daniel a champion, he trained him. He kicked his butt. He took him out. He, it was, it was months. It was a process of growing up into wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I just think that we stand to really learn something from something like that. Absolutely. And the work of it that and, and that's not to say that there aren't opportunities for people to easily step into these relationships, because I do think that right. that happens. And I think that, you know, there are incredible, older, wiser people who are looking for us just as much as we're looking for them. Yes, yes. But I think when presented with the opportunity to have to work for it, that's a whole extra set of things you get to learn and characteristics you get to build. And think about how weird it is, like flip the script a bit. Think about how weird it is when a 65-year-old comes to you and says, can I disciple you? Yeah. Can I be your mentor? Well, Mm -hmm. that's weird. It is. So I think the onus is on the young ones among us to pursue it, to chase it, to go knock on their door, to write the letter, to say, can I take you to lunch? Can I uh, have you over for dinner? And I'm going to ask you five really good questions. I'm paying for the meal. All you got to do is just just share your wisdom, tell your story, show up. And so, uh, you know, the, the older ones among us, when they're doing it right, they're not going to force mm-hmm. anything on us, but they're waiting for the invitation. Exactly. And so uh, go chase it down. So I've, I've been telling older folks who've been asking me about the book, like, okay, what would you recommend? I would just say, be available, Mm. be in your church, be kind, live a beautiful life in front of people. That's, that's provoking people. It's showing the way. And to the younger ones, I'm saying, go ask good questions, buy the meal, come ready with your legal pad and and dignify them by writing down and and then sort of embodying their wisdom. Mm -hmm. And when the young ones chase the old and when the old are available and you live in this reciprocal relationship, get ready to live. It's beautiful. Well, and within the church, I'm sure watch your church thrive. Yes. On a totally different level, because that's just another level of community that it hasn't achieved yet. Yep. I called Mr. Bob Staten, one of my favorite guys in the church. He's 92, and he comes every single Friday night and every single Sunday morning. He's a double dipper. All weekend, he's in church. And about four times a year, I call Bob up on the stage at the end of the service. And I say, Mr. Bob, I want you to come pray a prayer blessing over our congregation that only you can pray. Mm. Married to the same woman, you've got great grandchildren all over the earth, and they respect you and they honor you, and you've lived a wholesome life. Just pronounce that kind of blessing over us. Yeah. And what happens is Bob told me, he called me uh, after doing this three or four times. He said, Daniel, I'm doing more breakfasts with people in the church than I have time for. I'm, they're calling me, meet me at Cracker Barrel, Bob, and they're asking me questions. And so he's found purpose in his oh. latter years. 
He's telling his story. And everyone who's gone to breakfast with him has left better off than when they came. Oh, 100%. So local churches are, are, are the greenhouse for these kinds of relationships. So if you're listening and you have authority in a local church, create these kinds of interactions. Make it happen and your people will be better for it. Oh, I love that. I'm like, oh, I want that. Can I get one of those? I want one of those blessings. It sounds like a good one. So, okay, we've talked some practicality, right? Being available and making the invitation. But how do you, so I guess my my question is dual-sided. How do you, and I'm honestly, at this point, I'm asking these questions for myself. No, I'm you're not good. even going to pretend like I'm not. But how do you find, like, figure out who you yeah, should ask? Yeah. And then... How do you do this well? Sure. That's brilliant. So first of all, let me demystify this a little bit. A lot of times people hear about Eugene Peterson and a decade with him and oh my gosh, and what an icon and all that. For every one Eugene Peterson I have, and I have exactly one, <laughs> I have a hundred other aunties and uncles and extended grandparents in the faith yeah. who are mechanics. They were school Amen. teachers for 30 years. Uh, Mr. Bob owned a car dealer, small car dealership in middle America, Missouri, stay at home mamas who now are grandmas, Miss Mary Napier, who's in our church, just white hair, glory, loves God. She's 82. She's who you want to be like. So mm-hmm. I say scan the horizon and who, who do you want to look like? Now I, I don't want to get marriage advice from someone who's been married 12 times. No. I don't want to get financial advice from someone who's declared bankruptcy twice. So you look around and you go, who's living in a semblance of wholesomeness and order? Who has a life that's blazing with holiness? Who's living a life of simplicity and deep faith? And they've gotten to their latter years well. If you find someone who's gotten to their latter years well, you can learn from them. That's good. I don't need it to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's better if they aren't a pastor, just someone who's mastered the art of living well. Mm-hmm. If you find that person in your orbit, ask them for coffee, mm-hmm. come with questions. So I, I just, sometimes you, you can set the bar so high that you think, well, I don't have that person around me. And I say, garbage, you have that person. You're just around. not looking, You're not looking. the right way. Yeah. Yep. I love that. And I love that you were like, let's demystify this. This does not need to be your pastor. If it is, it's great, but it doesn't need to be. Okay, so I've changed the lens through which I'm looking at this through. And I've found someone that has lived a life I want to live. How do I show up to that conversation ready ready and well? And dignify their time and not waste it. Exactly. So let me just say, thank you for bringing that up. The worst meetings I have are when people ask me for a meeting and then they show up as if I ask them for the meeting. (laughs) You both just sit there and look at each other. So come ready. And so here's, here's how you come ready. One of the best questions I ask older people is, and I just asked someone this week, I said, I'm 37, I'm married, I've got three little kids. If that person has been married and they've got kids, I'll say, what do you remember about 37 with little kids? Ooh, that's good. Tell me, like, go back into an imaginative space. What do you remember about it? And they'd go, oh, I remember being so tempted to be a workaholic. And I thought that it was it just mattered if I climbed the ladder and made more money. And I look back on that time and I go, you know what? 
It was the little moments where I set up a tent in my backyard and slept with my kids under the stars. It didn't, we didn't have to do Disney World. We did the tent in the backyard and they speak of it as if it was the best thing I ever did. And they tell me that and I go, holy smokes, I got, you know. Yeah. So I go home and I'm immediately setting up a night in the backyard under the stars, right? Yes. And everybody's answer is to that same question is going to be different. Exactly. It's exactly. most likely going to orbit around the small moments. Right. My husband and I were, were talking yesterday about, so our girls are really into creating a zoo right now. <laughs> so they've emptied a bookshelf, dragged it into the living room, and it's a zoo for all their pets. This is going to make me kind of emotional, but mm. we were standing in the kitchen and we have like an open floor plan so we could hear them. And we were just standing there listening to them. And the big sister, literally, they're in the middle of playing and like making all kinds of animal noises. And the big sister went, I love you, sis. Mm. And Elliot was like, I love you too, Pace. And we both were just balling. Balling. Right. That is a moment that is now etched into my soul for the rest of my life. That when I and your girls and my girls and my husband, when I'm 90, if somebody asks me that question, this little stolen secret moment, you know, and so that's what I love is that everyone's life experience is different. And so your, you know, that answer is an answer of intentionality, but in small doses, someone else is just listening for the small stolen. I love yous, you know? Yes. You're going to get a different answer and they're all going to be the kind that where you have the reaction where you're like, oh God, I got to like write this down and go do it. So what did you do well? Like, uh, what did you do poorly? Mm -hmm. Are, Are there moments you can tell me about that you have regret? Tell me about the world that you've watched change over the last 85 years. Tell me about what it was like during Vietnam War and the Bay of Pigs. Tell me what it was like when your daddy told you stories of World War One. Tell like you're priming the pump. These good questions, what they do is they prime the pump and you're gonna strike oil. At some point, a gem is gonna come up from this subterranean space mm-hmm. and they're gonna bless you with their wisdom that they've fought to gain. Mm-hmm. And so I just think we're leaving gifts on the table right and left and we're missing opportunities every other day by just failing to be purposeful about our time with the sages. But if we'll just make a couple small tweaks, mm-hmm. if we'll learn how to draw out and ask good leading questions, you're going to have a, a generation's worth of wisdom passed on to you. And your approach, it doesn't just serve the younger person because we love to tell our stories. We were created for storytelling and sharing our lives. And so now you're giving, also giving this other person the opportunity to tell you Right. About walking through a war or right. what? Because they have, our older generation has seen the world do a complete 180. I mean, right. it's, I'm 30, almost two. And I remember when the internet was invented. So right. imagine <laughs> what these people have seen. Right. And so you, by you know, using that analogy of priming a pump, you're also pouring life back into them by allowing them to share their life with you. The story of faith is a story of multi-generations. It's mm-hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if, if you find yourself in a generational echo chamber, you're doing something wrong. 
Yeah. If you find yourself siloed off with your peers and that's the only thing you're hearing, you're doing something wrong. Um, so we are, we are poorer for it. Yes. And the elders among us are just dying on the vine and, and their stories are potentially going to go to waste if we don't draw it out. And so in churches, in communities, what you do is you get those three generations together and you just let it rip. And as you honor up, young ones, learn how to honor up. Learn how to decenter your story. Mm-hmm. Learn how to draw people into the center of, you know, the elders at the city gates. Come yeah. in here and we submit ourselves to you. You'll be better and they'll be better and we'll all be better. Dang. I love when somebody comes on this show and doesn't mince words and they're like, hey, <laughs> you're doing this wrong and you're living in an echo chamber and your life is worse for it. I'm just uh, so here for it because uh, I usually have to say that kind of stuff and I mm. love it when somebody else can say it <laughs> and not only to like the listener, but to me, you know, sure. I do have relationships with some of the older people in our church, but not as many as I should and not as intentionally as I should. And so this conversation is convicting for me as well, but also encouraging that this is not that difficult. This isn't clouded in mystery. It's really quite simple and life-giving. So when a COVID time like this hits and the world is locked down, as you've spent a decade drawing from the wisdom of the elders who've lived through World War One and World War Two and Vietnam and, you know, economic shifts up and down, you start to be able to take those stories and then think on your feet in the here and the now. Yeah. You begin to apply and you go, oh, wait, I've we're not in the exact same scenario, but I've heard this story before mm-hmm. and I've heard from four or five different people who learned how to navigate that unknown terrain and they came out well. Mm-hmm. What if I tried this? Yeah. What if when the world is disconnected and living by Zoom call, what if I pressed in? What if I went out and knocked on someone's door? What if I made a meal? So I just think when times like this hit and they will hit, mm-hmm. they will hit all of us. The, the fault lines will shift when you've got this like repository of wisdom from those who've lived. Yeah. You can start drawing on it in these moments. Yes. I love that. Whoo. This was really good. Like, <laughs> you're brilliant. You're a great oh interview. Gosh. It's good to be together. Stop. This was, I mean, this was amazing. A, a little bit unexpected. I knew what your book was about, but I should have known that you were just going to like, <laughs> so I'm assuming, is your book out? Can people get it wherever books are sold? Barnes and Noble, wherever books are sold, Amazon. It's called Chasing Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well. My name's Daniel Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. Grab it and uh, drink it down. Write a review on Amazon. I would love your help. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And are you on like Instagram, Facebook? All all of the above, Twitter. At Mr. Daniel Grothy. So M-R-D-A-N-I-E-L-G-R-O-T-H-E. Awesome. We'll make sure to connect people with you. Blake, we love the Crappy Christian Podcast. Well done. Keep it going. Thanks. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.